Amen. Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. I remember Pastor Dennis used to, when you would ask him, how are you doing today? He'd say, if I was doing any better, I'd be a twin. So I hope that's how you're feeling today. But if not, I pray that the Lord encourages you through his word. So if you will, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. And we're going to continue our series through 1 John, What is Real? And the title of the sermon today is a question, which Jesus? Which Jesus? Definitely think that's a question that we should be asking today. Which Jesus? 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. And when you found your place, you're welcome to stand for the reading of God's word. Beginning in verse 1, 1 John chapter 5, the Bible says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is. To keep his commands. And his commands are not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world. Our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater, because it is God's testimony that he has given about his Son, the one who believes in the Son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Let's pray. Dear God, we love you, and we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful, Lord God, that you, in your testimony of the word, have explained to us very clearly who you are, that Jesus, the, God the Son, certainly did take on flesh and dwell on this earth, died on a cross, was buried, and rose again three days later. God, we're so thankful that you exist in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Today, God, we turn this service over to you. This is your service, and we pray, God, that you would be glorified in all that's said and done. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, you know, one thing that's very interesting to me are twins. You know, I made that um, comment earlier about what Pastor Dennis said, but, but twins are very interesting to me because not only of the connection they have, but because in the case of identical twins, there's a lot of interesting trouble that they can get into. And as I was doing a little bit of research, there were some testimonials out there of what the identical twins have been able to accomplish because of how their appearance is. There was one story that goes like this. While in Iraq, I signed all my legal rights over to my brother, which gives him legal rights to my bank account. When my family was in financial trouble, I gave the okay for my brother to take money out of my account. The bank refused to honor the legal document and would not let my brother take the money out. Next day, he went to the same bank with my passport and took the money out of my account. Here's another one. My twin brother and I went to different colleges and didn't generally reveal to friends that we made that we had a twin. 
One day, a group of people approached me in the street, calling me by my brother's name and asking me if I would like to join them at a local restaurant. I knew that my twin brother was already at the restaurant, so I said I'd bet them dinner if I beat them to the restaurant in a foot race. (laughs) Even if I gave them a head start. They agreed and ran off at top speed while I stood there casually checking my watch and buffing my fingernails on my lapel, only for them to arrive exhausted and find me already there waiting. (laughs) But you know what? It matters. You know, when you have two people who look exactly alike, they've not lost their identity. They still have their own identity. And I'm sure that if you ever talk to any set of identical twins, they're going to tell you that it gets frustrating sometimes having to always explain who they are. Because their identity matters. Who they really are matters. And when we confuse them with someone else, sometimes that can be offensive, even though it's difficult not to. So who you are really matters very much. And if someone is impersonating you, your bank obviously is going to check your identification. They're going to confirm your identity. I promise you that the IRS has to confirm your identity before they're going to send you that refund check. If you get pulled over by a police officer, guess what he's going to do? He's going to ask you for your ID because he needs to verify that you are who you say you are. Our identity matters, but even more so, the identity of our God matters. Who our God is matters. Believe it or not, there are a lot of different Jesuses out there. There are a lot of uh, religions who claim a Jesus. Some even say that we worship the same Jesus that you worship. But we have to be careful as Christians to discern the truth to discern who is the true Jesus, who does the Bible say that Jesus is, because that's the Jesus that we need to follow and that we need to give our lives to. Different religions teach different Jesuses. Islam has a Jesus. Buddhism has a Jesus. Mormonism has a Jesus. Jehovah's Witnesses have a Jesus. Liberals have a Jesus. And even politicians many times will claim their own Jesus. Now, when they claim these different Jesuses, They want to insinuate that it's the same Jesus that we believe in. But when we start to dig down to the idea that they have in their mind of who Jesus is, we quickly realize that it's not the same Jesus. And sometimes when we begin to witness or we begin to share our faith with people in our community, don't just take it at face value if they say, yes, I believe in Jesus, or yes, I trust in Jesus. You need to actually ask them, which Jesus do you believe in? Because it matters. One day when we stand before God at the, at the judgment seat of Christ, the great white throne judgment, all that's going to matter is which Jesus you followed. All that's going to matter is which Jesus did you give your life to. Because today, if you give your life to the Jesus of Islam, you cannot be saved. If you give your life to the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, you cannot be saved because they are imposters. They are not the real Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible. So as we look through this passage in 1 John, John is very clearly going to tell us who the real Jesus is. And then he's going to share with us some things that are effects of believing in the true Jesus. So the first thing that John shares with us about the real Jesus is he is the Jesus who is the Christ. So if you're taking notes, that's going to be the first thing that John alludes to. The true Jesus is the Jesus who is the Christ. Now, in verse 1, we see that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. Christ, in the Greek, means anointed, the Messiah, 
reference to the one prophesied in the Old Testament. If you go back into the Old Testament, you're going to see prophecy after prophecy in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, and even in the Psalms of prophecies stating that there will be a future messianic king who will come, who will save Israel, and who will save the world from their sins. This is the true Jesus, the one who is, in the, who is the Christ, the one who is prophesied of in the Old Testament. Verses 1 and 2 show the order of the new birth in the Christian life. And I want you to get this very carefully because there are so many Christians out there and people who claim to be Christian that they say that you are saved by what you do. And we are very clear in this church that salvation is by grace and grace alone. There's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. There's no amount of good that you can do to get you into heaven. And here John is alluding to that. He's saying, first of all, the true Jesus is the Jesus who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one who was prophesied of in the Old Testament. And then he says, once you've trusted in that true Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus who is the Christ, and you have been born of God, it says, then those who are born of God in verse 2, I'm sorry, verse 1, love others. Now, here's the thing. Do you love people in order to come into a relationship with Jesus? No. You come into a relationship with Jesus, and the transformative power of the Holy Spirit enables you to love others. Don't get the cart before the horse. Quit getting caught up in this idea that if you give enough money to the church, or if you attend church enough, or if you pray enough, or if you do enough good, somehow your chances are a lot better of getting in heaven. I promise you a lot of good people die and go to hell. A lot of well-meaning Good people who give their lives to serve others still die and go to hell because there's never been a time and a place in their life where they've trusted in the Jesus who is the Christ, the Messiah. And we must remember that. We must be able to divide it. It is an absolute objective truth. It is not gray. There is no gray area there. Either you believe in the Jesus who is God or you don't. Either you trust him with your eternity or you don't. And if you say you trust him, but yet you're trying to work yourself into heaven, you don't really trust him. You don't really trust his work, his finished work upon the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. I promise you today that there is no amount of good that you can do to get into heaven. You know, the Jews have had this plague them ever since Jesus walked the earth. They knew that there would be a Messiah that would come. They believed the Old Testament scriptures. They believed the prophecy. But when God indeed sent Jesus, the Messiah, to the earth, they rejected him. They rejected him as the king of glory. They rejected him as God. They looked at him and said, you know what? This Jesus is an inferior person. He's a carpenter. Uh, he, he's the son of a carpenter. He's from an obscure village that no one really likes there's no way that this can be the Messiah that the Bible has prophesied about. Even the Jews had a huge problem with the fact that Jesus died on the cross. And it was such a derogatory way to die, a criminal's death. And they refused to accept that this Jesus was the one prophesied of in the scriptures. You know, I've heard a lot of people say and think that just because someone is Jewish means they're going to heaven. Just because they're a part of the chosen flock of God as far as the nation of Israel goes, that they're going to heaven. That is not true. 
The Bible is very clear that the only way to heaven is through the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the Christ, the one who is the Messiah. And it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or not, if you do not trust in that Jesus for your salvation, the Bible teaches us that all you have awaiting you after this life is condemnation because your sins have not been forgiven, because the blood of Christ has never been applied to your soul. It must be the right Jesus. Yes, the Jews may be well-meaning in saying that the true Messiah will come one day, and when he comes, I will believe in him. They've missed the mark. They've missed the real Jesus, the Jesus who is the Christ. When you look back in the Old Testament, over and over again, you see the specificity of the prophecies of who Jesus would be. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, The Messiah would be born of a virgin. Imagine that. Isaiah was written 800 years before Jesus Christ was born. The Messiah would be born of a virgin in Isaiah 7, 14. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. These were books that were very well known by the Jews. Said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. And not just any Bethlehem, but Bethlehem of Ephratah, which was a specific village in Judea, the city of David. That's how specific the prophecy was. The very particular village that Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem. Hosea chapter 11 verse 1 said the Messiah would come out of Egypt. Many people say the Bible contradicts itself because you have in Micah 5 2 that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem and then you have in Hosea 11 1 that the Messiah would come out of Egypt. But guess what? He came out of both of them. He was born in the town of Bethlehem, and because of the fear that Joseph and Mary had for Jesus' life because of Herod, they took him and ran to Egypt, and where he grew up in his toddler years was actually the kingdom of Egypt. So yes, the Bible was right both times. Psalm chapter 22, the 22nd Psalm, gives you a very detailed picture of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, another book written some uh, six to 700 years before the birth of Jesus. Psalm 22 gives an accurate and detailed description of the crucifixion of Jesus when crucifixion did not even exist at that time. You can go back and historians will tell you there were no Roman, Roman crucifixions in 800 B.C. or 700 B.C. So you say, well, how in the world did the biblical writer know that the Messiah would be hung on a cross because he was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit? He is the Jesus who is the Christ. Psalm 16 even says, talks about the Messiah's resurrection. That yes, he would die. Psalm 22 says he would die. But in Psalm 16, we find that he rose again on the third day. So yes, the Old Testament scriptures testify that Jesus is the Christ. And anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ does not worship the right Jesus. They can talk about a coming Messiah all they want. They can talk about a Jesus that they make up in their own minds. They can use the word Jesus. They can use these words. But if it's not the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus who is the Christ, the Messiah, the one prophesied of in the Old Testament, the one born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, the one who hung on a Roman's cross, and died, the one that was buried in a borrowed tomb and the one who rose from the dead on the third day, then they are not worshiping the right Jesus. The true Jesus matters. Verse 1 and 2 show that we must be saved before we can live a righteous life. And the only way to be saved is to worship and follow the Jesus who is the Christ. Verses 3 and 4 go a little bit further. You know, so many times in the Christian life, we think, man, it is so hard to live for God. 
You know, I try and I try, but it seems like every time I try, I get knocked down. Every time I try to do what's right and try to live by the word, someone makes fun of me or I miss the mark or whatever it may be. Well, uh, verses 3 and 4 are very clear that we do this because we love the Lord. Verse 3, for this is what love for God is. Listen to this. This is how you love God, to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burden because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. So when you're feeling like the commands of God are burdensome, then you're doing them for the wrong reason. The Bible teaches us that we serve God because we love him. Not because we're trying to earn favor with him. Not because we're trying to get a bigger paycheck. Not because we feel like he's a good luck charm and if we serve him a little bit more, maybe we'll get a little more blessings coming our way. That's not why we do the commandments of God. That's not why we serve him. We serve him because we love him. Because he is the object of our desire. Because he is everything to us. And we have a love relationship with him. Maybe you're at a place where you have been serving him out of a necessity and out of obligation because you have had a misconception of what it means to serve the Lord. You think maybe it's this list of these rules that you have to abide by and that if you're able to to meet the qualifications of this list of rules, then somehow maybe you stand in a better light with God. I promise you there's nothing that you can do to earn your salvation and there's nothing that you can do to earn favor with God. Either you're his child or you're not. And it doesn't matter how many times you fail. Listen, you shouldn't go out and sin intentionally, but when you mess up, get back up, dust yourself off, and keep serving Jesus. You know what Satan wants you to do? First of all, he wants you to mess up, but secondly, he wants you to think about it and dwell on it forever and ever and ever. Because he knows as long as you're worried about your past, and as long as you're worried about your failures, and as long as you're worried about your sin, you're never going to step out and do something for God. Because you're too concerned with your own spiritual condition. You're too concerned with what's going on inside here in order to give out and love others. What God wants us to do is to trust the finished work of the cross. When he died on the cross and rose from the dead, his blood was shed so you don't have to live in the guilt of your past. So that you can move forward, not because you're trying to make up for the bad you've done, or not because you're trying to make God like you more. You serve God because you love him. And it's that simple. You serve him because he is your desire. He is the apple of your eye. He is everything to you. And when we begin to serve God out of an idea and love for him that way, then it does not become burdensome anymore. The commands of God do not become a trudgery and and obligation, but it's out of a joy that he gives us that we can serve him. And that's what this is alluding to. So first of all, before you can ever serve him with joy, you've got to trust in the Jesus who is the Christ. Because if you don't trust in that particular Jesus, the one who died and rose again, you can't ever have the Holy Spirit living within you who is going to give you the ability to love God and the ability to serve him in joy. You know, there's always this argument between Calvinism and Arminianism. And I don't know if you know much about that, but it's basically the idea of predestination and the idea of man's free will. So does God just choose everyone who's going to heaven and do we not really have a say in it? Or is it purely man's choice? Well, we understand that it's both. We understand that it is not purely your choice to be saved. The Bible very clearly tells us that none seek after God in Romans chapter 3. There's no one who sets out one morning when they wake up and say, you know what, today I'm going to find God. No one does that, the Bible teaches us. The Holy Spirit has to initiate salvation. There has to be a time in your life where the Holy Spirit begins to draw you to Jesus. 
Now, when he brings you to that point, he's going to draw you in, and he's going to bring you to the point where then you have to make a decision, yes or no, to Jesus Christ. That's when your free will comes into play. But God does initiate salvation. Therefore, God provided salvation by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're saved, you can't lose your salvation, by the way. You were not good enough to earn your salvation, and you're not good enough to keep it. It's by his grace that you are saved, and it's by his grace that you remain saved. Jesus keeps those who are his. Jesus himself said, no one will be able to pluck out of my hand those who the Father has given me. No one can ever take you from Jesus Christ. So that's the first part of which Jesus, okay? We're trying to say which is the real Jesus? Which is the right Jesus? Which is the Jesus of the Bible? Well, the first thing we see is that he is Jesus who is the Christ. Secondly, he is Jesus who is the Son of God, and we find this in verse 5. So he is the Christ, but he is also the Son of God. Verse 5 of 1 John chapter 5. Who is the one who conquers the world, but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now that's very clear, isn't it? Who is it? Basically, who is it that has eternal life? Who is it that gets saved? Who is it that is able to have victory over death, hell, and the grave? The Bible says, the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, when we talk about Jesus being the Son of God, a lot of different people have different ideas of what that means. Again, we want to use the context of the Bible to determine what does it mean that Jesus was the Son of God. You know, one thing that I think about is this, is that those of you out there who have a son, is, what species is your child? Is your child a dog? Is your child a cat? A bird? No, your child is a human being, right? Your child is a person, okay? Same way with God. God has a son. His name is Jesus. Guess what? Who in the world would think that God's son would be anything less than God? He is God. He come forth from God. He, is, he was God from eternity past. The Bible teaches us that he was begotten of the Father. Now, let's be very careful there. That does not mean that Jesus had a beginning, by the way. Jesus Life did not begin in the manger in Bethlehem. Jesus is God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, and Jesus has always existed, and he has no beginning. But what that means there in the Bible is, when you look at the Greek, it means a unique one. In other words, Jesus is the unique one of the Father. Not to say that he had a beginning, not to say that someone gave birth to him and that was his beginning, but it's to say that Jesus is a specific person. He is unique. He has his own identity. Remember, we believe in one God who exists in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in three gods. We believe in one God who exists in three persons. You say, Ben, that doesn't make sense. You're right, it doesn't. But I like worshiping a God that I can't always explain. If I could explain him, he'd be no better than me, by the way. Amen? So that is who our God is. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. God in the flesh who took on flesh. You know what Jehovah's Witnesses believe? First of all, how many of you have ever had a Jehovah's Witness knock on your front door? Okay, so probably 60% of the congregation, right? Well, Jehovah's Witnesses will talk to you about Jesus all day long. Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Yes, you got to have Jesus to be saved. But which Jesus do they believe in, I wonder? In their version of the Bible, it's called the New World Translation. If you have one of those on your shelf, 
Mark it or something to make sure that you don't think that's a, a legitimate Bible because it's not. It's the NWT, the New World Translation. In John chapter 1, verse 1, they have decided to make, make a few changes. Because what they're doing is, um, uh, Charles Taze Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, decided to retranslate the Bible. And what he did was, as he retranslated the Bible, he took out the parts in the Bible that said Jesus is God that Jesus has existed from eternity past. And it's kind of funny, he's actually, he actually missed a few. And if you ever talk with the Jehovah's Witness, make sure to point those out. But in John chapter 1, verse 1, the Greek word used there for God, remember is in the beginning was, was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, the word used for God in the Greek is theos. It's plain and simple. Theos in Scripture is always translated as God, okay, always. But in the Jehovah's Witness Bible, they decided that they would put the word a before God. So in their Bible, it says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God, lowercase g. Now, can you imagine one letter changing the identity of the Jesus you're talking about in a verse? All they did was added one letter, and it changed the identity of Jesus in that verse. Because we go down to John 1.14, we find out that the Word that John 1.1 is talking about is Jesus. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We know that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. So here the Jehovah's Witnesses are saying, Listen, Jesus wasn't God. He was a God. In other words, we're going to leave some room here for Jesus to have a point in time when he was created. When he was maybe the first creation of God, but he's not always lived. You see how sneaky that is? You see how deceptive that is? Literally every legitimate Greek scholar that you would talk to would say to put the letter A before God is absurd. They are taking liberty with the original text that no one in their right mind would ever do. And they do it because they're trying to demean the true Jesus. They're doing it because they're trying to divert people from the true traditional Jesus that the Bible speaks of. They're doing it because they are being deceived by Satan himself and people are dying and going to hell who are buying into this Jehovah's Witness garbage and because they are believing in a Jesus that can never save them. They're believing in a Jesus that is no better than me or you. They are not believing in the Jesus of the Bible. 1 John chapter 4, verse 3 says this, But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. Verse 15 of that same chapter, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. And remember, when we say Son of God, we mean God. We mean the God of eternity, the one who made all things. So we see that Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is the Jesus who is the Christ. The Jesus of the Bible is the Jesus who is the Son of God, which automatically denotes that he is God. And then thirdly, the Jesus who the Bible teaches of is the Jesus who came by water and blood. Verses 6 through 10 teach us about that. Beginning in verse 6, the Bible says this, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is truth, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three 
are in agreement. Now, before we go any further, any of you who have a King James Version Bible, you're going to say, Ben, you left out a verse. You left out a verse there after the Spirit, the water, and the blood, because in the King James Version, it does mention the Word, the Father, and the Spirit. Well, after doing some research, they have found that the oldest manuscripts available to us, which are probably 14th generation Greek manuscripts, did not include that verse. That verse was added sometime after where probably a historian had marked it into the margin of the Bible, maybe just as a note, a, a personal note. And as the Bible continued to be translated, somehow that worked into the Scripture. Now, if your Bible says that, that's okay. It does not change what we believe. We do believe that God is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But in the newer versions, you won't find that because the oldest manuscripts we have available did not include that verse. So I just wanted to share that with you right there. So we see here that John is hitting this thing about the water and the blood. Now, the water would have denoted the fact that Jesus, the true Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is the Jesus who was baptized by water. We know that John the Baptist baptized Jesus. We also know that because of the blood, that denotes Jesus' crucifixion. So there are many religions that may deny that Jesus was baptized. There are other religions who deny that Jesus even died on the cross. What John is trying to narrow down here for us is that you must believe in the Jesus who was baptized by water by John the Baptist and also believe in that same Jesus who was crucified and shed his blood on the cross. If you believe in any other Jesus, you are not believing the true Jesus. Gnosticism was very big back then, and it was a, a cult that was really plaguing the church. And what it believed was that everything physical is evil, and everything spiritual or immaterial is holy. So what they would do is they would try to downplay the incarnation of Jesus. And what I mean by incarnation is the fact that Jesus God the Son became human and took on a physical body. They didn't like the fact that Jesus took on a physical body because in their idea, that means he was evil and God cannot be evil. So John was trying to combat this. And many of the Gnostics believed that the Spirit of Christ came upon Jesus at his baptism and that the Spirit of Christ left Jesus right before his crucifixion. That is false, by the way. The physical Jesus is Jesus. And you can't separate the physical Jesus from the spiritual Jesus. They are one and the same. Jesus Christ is in heaven today, not as a ghost, not as something invisible, not as something that's um, just an epiphany of some kind. But the Jesus in heaven today, you can touch. He has a physical body. The Bible even teaches us that we, you know, when he walked the earth before he ascended to heaven, the disciples could put their hands in the nail prints. They could put their hand in his side where he was stabbed with a sword. Our Jesus and our king today has a physical body. He has a physical body. And when any time we try to downplay that, we are not talking about the Jesus who the Bible speaks of. Islam teaches that Jesus did not die on the cross. Listen, a Muslim will talk to you about Jesus all day long. They revere Jesus, okay? They, they, they believe Jesus was a great prophet. They believe, they, there's a story in the Quran that says that Jesus could speak in full sentences when he was like a year and a half. They, they have a, a high reverence of Jesus, but yet they don't believe Jesus died on the cross. There's many sayings that they, they've kind of made up over the years that say, well, yeah, Jesus began to carry the cross, but at some point up the hill of Calvary, someone else came and took his place and he left and they died on the cross. That's false. 
And if you believe in a Jesus who did not die on the cross, you don't believe the Jesus of the Bible. You don't believe in a Jesus who can save you. And you are still hopeless in your sins if you believe in that wrong Jesus. Remember um, when John the Baptist baptized Jesus and a voice came from heaven. It was the Father. And he said, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I'm well pleased. Right there, we had the testimony of God that at Jesus' baptism, he was the real Jesus. He was the true God of the Bible. Later on, we find a Roman centurion at Jesus' crucifixion that after the clouds got dark and after Jesus gave up the ghost, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. Even those who were around him, even the, the human beings who were around him testified that he is the true God, the true Jesus. He is the only one who can save. And then we find, too, that the Holy Spirit testifies of him. It says the water and the blood, but then it talks about in um, verse 6, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. Remember whenever Jesus was baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit as a dove descended upon Jesus and rested there. And John saw the Holy Spirit affirming that Jesus is God. John chapter 15, verse 26, the Bible says this, When the Counselor comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And that's Jesus saying that. He's saying, listen, not only did the, the water baptism testify of me, not only did the blood of Calvary testify to my true identity, but the Holy Spirit testifies of my true identity. When we look and we're in a worship service and the Holy Spirit begins to move in people's lives and there's lost people among us, you know what the Holy Spirit is doing as he's working in the hearts of people who have never accepted Jesus? He's testifying of the Jesus who saves. He's testifying of the Jesus of the Bible. And he's telling lost people, he is your only way to heaven. He loves you and he died for you. Will you accept him? Will you ask for forgiveness of your sins and be saved today? The Holy Spirit's main job among humanity is to testify of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jesus who is true, the Jesus who can save. 1 John chapter 2, verse 22 says this, Who is the liar if not the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This one is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Today, as we live in this world and as we walk the streets of our communities, and as we meet people and interact with people, you're going to find a lot of people, church, who don't know the true Jesus. You're going to find a lot of people who will testify of a Jesus, but not the Jesus of the Bible. They will talk about a historical figure named Jesus, but they're going to miss the mark. Today, it is our job to, first of all, know who the Jesus of the Bible is, and second of all, for us to share who the true Jesus is. When you're talking to Jehovah's Witness, do not take them at their word. They believe in a wrong Jesus. When you're talking to a Muslim and they say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus, my friends, they don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. When you're talking to a Mormon, don't just take it at face value that they believe in the same Jesus you do, because they don't. Do not assume Jesus is specific. His identity matters. He is the God of heaven. He is the one that created all things. He is the one who died on the cross. He is the God who became man and dwelt among us. He is the only way to heaven from his own words in John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes into the Father except by me. We find in 1 Corinthians that Jesus indeed died and rose again for the payment of our sins. And we find in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, the Bible says, 
For by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. Today, my friends, that is the true Jesus. He is the real Jesus. He is the only Jesus who can save you from your sins. So my question this morning for you is this. Do you trust in the Jesus of the Bible? Do you trust in the true Jesus? Remember our question was, which Jesus? The Bible tells us very plainly which Jesus. And it is the Jesus who is God, the one and only God. If you don't care, bow your heads with me this morning as we go into a time of worship.